We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Barry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Got up this morning, got ready to come into the show, had some things weighing heavy on my mind, went into the garage, opened up the garage door, stepped outside, looked up at the stars, and wow. God, you are so huge. Thank you, Lord, that you're bigger than all of my problems. You're bigger than the problems of the world. And thank you that you love me. So God just showed me his love this morning as I looked up at the stars. It's just so awesome to be walking with this living God. I'd love to hear about a time when God just showed you his love, maybe in a little way like that, maybe in a big way. 800-968-8930. God showed you, I love you, 800-968-8930. Afton from Coopersville, a time, tell me when God showed you his love. Just a low point in my life, but it was there where he really sent his church to surround me and just show me how loved I was. And I think when I began walking with Jesus, I knew that he loved me and that he redeemed me, but I didn't really understand the extent of his love, that his love is unconditional and and that he wants me. And I think in that valley place, um, when he sent all his his sons and daughters to minister to me, I just felt the love of Christ. And so I feel that that really strengthened me to know God and His character and to trust in His love. And now I'm able to more fully proclaim that to others. You know, we can't proclaim enough just that simple message that Jesus loves me. So I would just challenge those listening to tell somebody, Jesus loves you today. I don't know, you know, your story, but maybe you grew up in a Christian family. Let's start there. If you grew up in a Christian family, you know, like I did, there, there's a there's a making your faith your own process. And mine started when I was 10 years old, but it really didn't become fully my own until I got to college. I had really never got into God's Word. Uh, Jesus had done a lot of things in my life between when I was 10 and when I was 18, but I made a lot of mistakes. I fell into a lot of sin, and I wasn't in the Word. And so when I when I came to Olivet College, I really just started devouring the Word. I really started growing, and the faith became my own through the working of the Holy Spirit. And that is David Crowder's story as well. We know him as Crowder. He's a singer-songwriter, worship leader, and I just love his story, and I think you will as well. It really was in college that things took a deeper, deeper route, you know. I love the collegiate moment. I love college students. I just love that, you know, it's such a pivotal moment where all of life is opened up. There's lots of paths leading lots of different places, and the ideas that they're wrestling with are huge, you know, the ones that we've been wrestling with for all of humanity. And I just love that moment. I love the conversations. I love the tension. I love the timid, scared approach to what's next. Such a a beautiful, vulnerable state. It doesn't take a lot to to have something turn in your chest. And for me, that that happened my junior year at college, for sure. I had a good friend, Christy, and he uh, he's now a pastor down in Houston. But he was a good friend, roommate, and we were sitting on the balcony one night, and he knew kind of my story and where I'd come from. And I had you know been in school there for a good bit of time, and he was talking about Baylor had 
done this survey of their student population, and it discovered that over half their students, it's a Christian school, and, you know, Christianity is still very much a part of the student life and education system there. But, you know, half the students go into this Christian school in the Bible Belt never step foot in church their entire state. And he tells me that, and I go, yeah, that's where I am, man. I, I, I was at church too much already. I kind of put in my time and really up close to my friends growing up. They were the music director's son, and, and I think I spent most of my afternoons over at the youth director's house. And, and it just looked like their experience of church life was just about the worst job you could ever have. You know, my, my justification at the time was, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I just don't like the institutional experience. Of course, there I am, a college kid, thinking I know everything. You accumulate all this knowledge and you think you got the thing figured out, and then you suddenly don't. There had been a family crisis, and I had gotten a phone call from my mom, and one of my close relatives was headed to the jailhouse, and they're telling me everything about it. And I'm just like, see, this doesn't work the way that y'all said it worked, because this guy was just the epitome of conservative Christianity and approach to living life, you know, and no judgment towards that or him, but it was just like, man, something, something bigger has to happen to cause transformation. And for me, it was no bigger than sitting on this balcony with Chris telling me about the survey, me saying, yeah, that's me. And then him telling me this story about he was currently doing this itinerant pastor at a little town outside of Waco, Texas, called Gatesville, Texas. And he's telling me, man, I got a call the other morning. It's about 2 in the morning, and it's one of the congregants there. And he's he's like, Pastor, I need you. I need you now. And so he's like, okay. And he gets in his car, goes, and gets to the house. He's like, what do you need? He's, and they prayer. He's like, okay, well, let's pray together then. He goes, no, 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 my cow is sick, and I need you to pray for him. Okay, well. I guess let's pray for the guy. He goes, no, no, I want you to put your hands on him and pray for him. <laughs> you got to touch him. He's like, okay. And so he climbs in this pen in the muck and the mire, and he's running around trying to try to just put his hand on his couch long enough to spit out a prayer. And I'm laughing at the story. And he goes, I think it's as simple as that. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, you know, what if it was just, you know, I know your issues and such, but what if there's a place you could put some of your baggage down and just, it's just people who love each other are going to be there for them in the muck and the mire and all the hard stuff. And, and it, it just looks like what Jesus talked about, loving your neighbors yourself and laying yourself down. So I was like, oh, he goes, would you give it a try if uh, I started a place like that? I didn't realize what he was doing, but he was really throwing a line trying to get me to be a part of this church he was about to start, and I didn't know that till later on. But it was really that, that I had a friend who knew I was in the muck and mire and willing to extend a hand to me and chase me down, so to speak. That's what it took from that moment, asking me if I could help with the music on Sunday morning. So I was like, oh, dude, that's a horrible idea. I'm like the least likely person to put up there, dude. And he said, no, 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 you got this. And he said, this is part of it, you know. We see each other where we are. And about a year into the thing, I was absolutely, I was in. That is so sweet how his friend chased him down, and he did it in such a winsome way. Just, you know, drew him in, drew him in like honey. You know, he didn't come on so strong, just drew him in. And, man, I want to be like that as well. I want to be the person that just, you know, goes after that one that's, that's just, you know, sort of wandering off because people have come after me. You know, Jesus came after me, but, you know, my parents, 
you know, they came looking for me and, um, you know, they did it in a winsome way. And I just remember Mo Dunn, <laughs> a guy that, you know, I met in my early twenties and he was a little bit older and he, he, he just called me to more. That's the thing, you know, there's more and, and there are so many people around us and they're, they're close to us, maybe our family, friends, whatever. And they're not experiencing the more that Christ has for them. And we got to figure out a way to go after them, but not, you know, be judgmental or judgy. We got to be like honey and just draw them in. We got to give them a bridge, some kind of bridge. And I'm just sort of wrestling with this, like, what does it look like to create a bridge for somebody to come to Jesus for the first time or to come back to Jesus? And and so I'm just asking for wisdom for that. And I just want to be that. And, and I believe you do as well. Maybe you've checked out on Christianity. Maybe you're no longer, you know, in the the organized thing and you just had enough of the hypocrites, but you want to come back. There's, There's a part of you that, you know, you know, Jesus is real and he's alive and and there's something magnetic about this person of Jesus, but you don't know how to come back. And this is probably going to sound like a cliche, but I don't mean it as a cliche. You just come as you are. You know, Jesus loves you as you are, not as you should be. He loves who you are right now with whatever kind of mess you have in your life. I've got mess in my life. He loves me as I am. And that's what's changing me. So you just, you come as you are. And I think maybe you just say, Lord, it's been a long time. Here I am. Sean is off today, so what do you do when Sean is off? How do you fill up the lack, the lack of Shauna? Well, you bring in Tim Keller. That's what you do, just for future reference, in case you need to fill up a lack. Maybe you're going through a storm in life and you don't know what to do. What do I do? You need God's direction, but it seems like he's sleeping. If that's you, you need to trust him. Here is Tim Keller, founder of Redeemer Church and author of a gazillion books. When Jesus Christ was in the boat, asleep during the storm, and his disciples are just flipping out, they're freaking out. Why? Because here they are in a storm, and their navigator, the Lord, is sleeping. No navigation, no guidance in the storm, right? They're freaking out, so they wake him up, and they say, Lord, don't you care that we're dying? Don't you care that we're dying? And Jesus gets up. He's actually pretty short with them. And he says, where's your faith? You know, he's so often tender with, with people that I've often wondered why he was that sharp. I don't mean he was sinfully sharp. He was right. And here's why, here's why I think he was sharp with them. I have to go back into my own parental experience to uh, get to this. You know, at some point, your child is going to look at you, and you, when you withhold something from him or her, you don't let your child have something that they really want. And when they look at you and they say, you don't love me. And when that happens, it'll happen to you sometimes, those of you with little kids, just try not to blow up. And I'll tell you why it's so hard. You want to say, how dare you? You have no idea what I have done for you. You have no idea the sacrifice. You don't have no idea the things that I, I withheld from myself to raise you. You have no idea the sacrifices. You have no idea. And if you knew all I have done for you, you would never question my motive for withholding that from you. 
If you knew all that I have sacrificed for you, you would know I must have a loving purpose from withholding that for you. When they said, Master, don't you care that we're dying? I think Jesus was saying back to them, don't you care that I'm dying? When they said, Master, you're not really navigating us through the storm, here's what Jesus is saying. There is a real storm coming, a cosmic storm, a storm of God's wrath, a storm of eternal justice, a storm of the justice that we deserve for everything that we've done as human beings. And he says, I am going to bow my head before that storm, and I'm going to take it for you. And I'm going to go through that storm without any navigation. The Father is going to abandon me. I will be the only righteous person in history who committed absolutely everything, rolled everything over onto the Father, and I'm going to sink. He's going to abandon me. But don't you see? I am going through the ultimate storm without navigation, so you can be sure that in spite of the fact you don't deserve it, you will always have me at the helm. I'm going through the ultimate storm without navigation. I didn't abandon you to that storm. And therefore, I will not abandon you in this storm. And you know it now because I'm telling you. Look at Jesus. Look what he's done. And to the degree you know that, to that degree you will be able to commit everything to him and become the kind of person who makes wise decisions. It's so amazing. That's just so amazing. The truth of that, you know, that Jesus is for us, that he has proved his love for us no matter what kind of storm that we're in, that he would die for us just to prove that he's not going to leave us. Maybe you're going through a storm in life right now and you, you just don't know what to do. Jesus is leading you in the storm. He's proved it by dying for you on the cross. He sees you. He has proven that you can trust him because he poured out his life. He said, my life for yours. Think of that. He said that to me and you, my life for yours. What kind of love is that? There's no other love like that. Nobody loves me like that. So knowing that love of Jesus with your decision, you don't know what to do. Just step out in faith. Hey, maybe you're in a really hard place right now. You're going through some kind of suffering and it's just heavy. It's weighing on you. And I know, you know, I've not experienced, probably not experienced what you're experiencing, but I've experienced some suffering in my life, certainly not to the extent some have, but I just have come to know this and learn this, that God doesn't waste my suffering. He works through my suffering. Joel Smallbone, he's one of the two brothers in For King and Country. He was on his honeymoon in 2013, and he found himself sitting on the edge of his bed wondering if his brother Luke, the other member of For King and Country, was going to die. He turned to his wife and said, it's really bad. Now, Luke was in critical condition. This was in back in 2012, 2013. He had a digestive disorder ulcerative colitis, and now the six-foot-four-inch guy weighed only 125 pounds, too frail to hold his newborn baby, thought he was going to die. Joel thought he was going to die. Luke, the guy with the disease, thought he was going to die, and he didn't turn a corner until a, a doctor, Vanderbilt physician, put him on a different diet in late 2013, and God healed him. God raised him up, but that suffering was not wasted in Luke's life. I have always looked at the story of Job, and obviously what's amazing about Job is none of us can compare to his story, but we can associate with suffering, you know, a little bit of suffering anyway. 
And when you go through really, really difficult times and you still call out to Jesus, say, God, still I will do my best to remain faithful, to be able to be a man that declares your, your name, your glory. If, if this life is all about bringing worship to God, what greater worship is that when everything's kind of taken away and still you are saying, God, I, I love you. I'm so thankful for what you've done in my life. I, I can't think of any, any, any greater worship out there when, when the things that we in this world put our faith in slowly are whittled away and taken away. If you have a big decision to make and you just don't know what to do, there's not a chapter and verse in the Bible to show you what to do. It's time to take a step of faith, maybe a leap of faith. Sure, read the Word, talk to trusted friends, pray, look for signposts, surrender your will to God. All these things are important, but at the end of the day, make a decision. Here's Tim Keller, the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. When most people have come to me over the years as a pastor, they come to me and they say, I have decisions to make and I want God's guidance. I want to discern the will of God. And I always say, make a decision. And they say, how spiritual. I mean, I thought you were a pastor. I'm trying to find out the will of God. How do I know what God wants? I've been praying and I've been getting peace about this, but I haven't been getting peace about this. How do I discern the leading of the Holy Spirit? I said, make a decision. And when I came here to start a church, people were constantly saying to me, are you sure God's called you to start this church in New York City? And I used to always say, no. <laughs> I think he did. I, I see an opportunity. I don't see anybody else going through and taking the opportunity. I feel an obligation to come. I think it's a good idea. I think God's calling me, but I can't be absolutely sure. I can be absolutely sure I mustn't lie. It's in the Bible. I can be sure I mustn't bow down to an idol. It's in the Bible. I'm sure of a lot of things. But as far as I know, I won't be sure that I was called to plant a church until uh, it happens. Then I'll know. I said, well, don't you have peace about it? No. It was too hard. It was too scary. No, I didn't have peace about it. But I knew by selling my house and coming on up here and getting started and signing a three-year lease, oh, my gosh, (laughs) that if I failed to plant a church, God was preparing me for something I couldn't envision. You see? Well, you know, when you and I are trusting in God and we step out in faith and we decide to do something, we can trust the outcome to God. There's a decision that I need to make right now and my motives, I just, I struggle with my motives. Are my motives right? And of course, I just got to give those motives to God, but my motives are never going to be completely pure. And so... I'm just wrestling through that, and I think that I just need to trust God with my motives and make a decision. You know, either our plan will succeed or fail. If it fails, God will use that failure to move us forward into what he actually has in mind for us. So step out in faith. I think I'm going to do that too. maybe you can identify with this. When I'm going through something really hard and I don't like it and it's just a slog and I just say, you know, Jesus, I, I still love you. I, I've signed on for, for this. This is part of what I signed on for when I decided to follow you. I knew it was going to be hard, but I know how much you loved me 
and love me and I signed on for it. This just proves to me that my faith is real, that God has done something real in me. And that's really the story behind the song, Even If by Mercy Me. And Bart Millard is the guy that really birthed this story. A lot of our songs, for me, is writing the lyrics, they, they come out of really hard times of life experience, you know, uh, and my therapy is writing songs about it. And Even If was, was just out of me simply having a bad day. My son, who's a diabetic, who's 15 now, we were going to a checkup and whether the checkup was good or bad, it doesn't matter. It's just that it's that reminder that this is very real and it's chronic. It's not going away. And so mm-hmm. it could be the greatest checkup ever, but you still don't walk away going, yay, we did it. It's like, ah, we're going to deal with this the rest of our lives. And, and that same day we had a godly friend of ours who was asking us about diabetes. I don't know much about it. And we went through all the statistics and the stuff we've said for years. And she stopped and she goes, you know what? We're just going to pray that God heals him. And and the the good Christian in me kind of smiled like I normally do. I was like, yay, God is good all the time, that kind of stuff. But part of me, just because I was already having a rough day, wanted to grab her by the shoulders and say, really, you don't think I thought of praying for my son to be healed for the last 13 years, you know? And just because I was having a bad day, nothing against her. She's an amazing person. But uh, And Tim Timmons is one of my dearest friends, and I was going to his house to hang out. And I don't even know what we were meeting about, but we sat down, and I just unloaded him in tears like I'm having the worst day, man. And this lady doesn't even know, and she set it off, and— and Tim, for those that don't know, lives with cancer. He has this weird, rare cancer in his blood that, that they say, man, you could live a day or 20 years. We don't know what to tell you. I forgot I was talking to, and I was telling Tim, you don't even know what it's like to have a chronic illness, man. It's so hard. And he was just kind of grinning at me, that goofy <laughs> grin. And we were in a studio, so he started playing piano like he was like Yanni or something, like background, like lounge music. <laughs> I thought he was mocking me, and he was just hearing everything I was saying. And I was telling him, I was like, man, I just want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stands in front of the fiery furnace and says, I know God can deliver me. I know that he can save me from this, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow. I'm still not going to surrender. He's worth it. And Anyway, we kept talking, and I think I even thought he was kind of mocking me, so I kind of cut it short. And then not long after that, he sent me this text memo, and it's him singing almost a bunch of the words that I was saying during that time. Wow. And said, man, he goes, I wrote this chorus years ago. First half of the chorus he wrote with Crystal Lewis five, six years ago. And he goes, I tried and I just couldn't figure it out. And so we just ditched it. And so he started like showing me that and singing this deal. And and so I remember telling him like, man, I just, I know I win some and lose some, but right now I'm losing so bad that it's so hard to stand on stage and tell people that God's going to get us through when I'm not even sure I believe that myself, which became ultimately the first verse. And so I just, I heard it and I was freaking out. And so, you know, couldn't write it quick enough. And, um, and just, it was one of those few times where like I'm writing the second verse and I'm texting the guys. I'm like, I'm in tears. Like I'm freaking out. Like this is, and when I say it's a big song, it's not, this is a hit. This is a huge song for me. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.